and welcome to the Tennis Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Amell. I'm your sidekick host, Brandon. On this show, one of us brings a top tennis list on anything in the fucking world that we so choose. The other person doesn't know what that list is until they find out here in a second, and then they guess items one through ten. Along with you, the listener at home, we're in the car, we're the shower, we're laying in bed, we're doing a puzzle. Or traveling through the Earth's core in a machine. Wherever you are, we appreciate you listening. We hope you're having a happy holiday season. Brandon, I'm going to start this episode off with a question. What is your favorite book to read to your kids? Hmm. Does one come to mind? Yeah, it's called Where Is My Hat? Where is my hat? And why is that one your favorite? It's about a bear looking for his hat. And he goes around and questions all these animals about whether or not they've seen his hat. It has a funny ending. We do different voices for the animals. The artwork is kind of simple, but it's, um, it's good art. It's like our show. Yeah, right. Simple, but good art. Um, well, I ask because like you, I am a father and I'm often reading children's books. But even if you don't have any kids out there, um, you probably remember a few of the children's books from your childhood. And that's what we're talking about today. The top 10 best-selling children's books of all time. Oh, shit. I would say pretty much everyone out there has heard of at least most, if not all of these. Okay. This is based on global units sold. My sources are Reader's Digest, infoplease.com, entertain, uh, sorry, howstuffworks.com, and Wikipedia. There's some qualifiers here. I already said this is based on global units sold. This is strictly children's literature, no teen or young adult books. So things like Harry Potter or The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe are not included. These are basically picture books. Right. These are meant to be read to small children. Books with over 100 pages are disqualified. Picture books for young kids. Think These are the books that parents are reading their kids. Kids can't read yet, most of the time. Am I clear to start guessing? Let her rip. Is Go Dog Go in the top 10? Were you born yesterday? Of course not. Oh, it's not? No. Nope. Uh, but there is another dog-like book in the top 10. Is it Clifford the Big Red Dog? No. Fuck. Probably because that's it's a series, you know? I, I don't know if any one book stands out. Oh. There's an extremely simple book about a little puppy. It's an old book. came out in 1942. The Puppy Who Lost His Way? No. I think this should be called The Sidekick Host Who Lost His Way. This is The Pokey Little Puppy oh, by yeah. Jeanette Sebring Lowry. It's number nine in the top ten. You don't remember The Puppy Who Lost His Way from Billy Madison? No, I do. You get out there and you find that fucking dog. Yeah. Well, that dog wasn't pokey enough to be in the top 10. Not like the pokey little puppy, which is number nine with 15 million units sold. It was published in 1942. It's a story about five puppies of undetermined breed. <laughs> okay. That's how Wikipedia lists it. Mutts. As of 2001, the pokey little puppy was the single all-time best-selling hardcover children's book in the US. Obviously, it's been surpassed since then, but the author remained in relative obscurity until her death. She and her book were not well known until after she died. There was a Christmas special called The Pokey Little Puppy's First Christmas. It aired on Showtime in 1992. Fucking Showtime. Yeah, they can show tits and stuff on there. But I'm going to assume that wasn't in the Pokey Little Puppy Christmas special. I think I had that when I was a kid, but I don't remember anything about it. I don't even remember why the puppy was pokey. I don't either. I recognize the title, uh, but that's about it. 
But the rest of these in the top 10, at least seven or eight of them, you won't have trouble remembering. Okay. There's not a lot to say on Pokey Little Puppy. That's probably my least amount of notes. So let's give another guess. I'm trying to think of books that are in my kids' room. Let me get out of the way. Hop on Pop. No. However, that same author is in here. Cat in the Hat. Cat in the Hat by our friend, Dr. Seuss, listener of the show. Cat in the Hat is number... Where Gotta are you? Gotta be up there, right? It's seven. Oh. Kind of low, huh? There's two Dr. Seuss books in the top ten, and this is the lower one at number seven. Oh, I bet I know the other one now. It was published in 1957. The Cat in the Hat has sold 16 million copies worldwide. Here's the synopsis from Wikipedia. The story centers on a tall anthropomorphic cat who wears a red and white striped hat and a red bow tie. The cat shows up at the house of Sally and her brother one rainy day when their mother is away. Despite the repeated objections of their fish, the cat shows the children a few of his tricks in an attempt to entertain them. But in the process, he and his companions, Thing 1 and Thing 2, wreck the house. As the children and the fish become more alarmed, Cat produces a machine that he uses to clean everything up and disappears just before the children's mother comes home. So I basically just read the whole book to yeah, you. He acts like a total dickhead. He is a dickhead, isn't he? They didn't ask for anything that he brought. He just showed up and was like, hey, you're not having a good enough time. Let me fuck your whole house up real quick. Stress you guys out. Then at the last second, he's like, oh, well, I'll, I got magic. So don't sweat it. Not magic, a machine. A very magical machine. Doesn't he just walk in too? Yeah. At the very beginning? He was a home invader. <laughs> He's a home invader. Well, as we know, Dr. Seuss wrote this book. He gave varying accounts of how he created the cat in the hat. But in the version he told most often, he was so frustrated with the word list from which he could choose words to write his story that he decided to scan the list and create a story based on the first two rhyming words he found. The f words he found were cat and hat. You believe that, Brandon? I guess that logic sort of tracks, but I mean, where did the idea from that like, hey, this cat wearing a hat, he should be kind of an asshole? Probably from Dr. Seuss's own career as a home invader. Haven't we talked about before he's, in some way he was a bad dude and I can't remember how. I think I once accused him of beating his wife, but then maybe that wasn't true. Yeah. If I recall, he made some uh, propaganda films during World War II. I don't remember the details, but that stands out. Starting the cat in the hat. <laughs> I can spot a Jew, can you? Oh my God, Brandon. Uh, Dr. Seuss stated that the book took between 9 and 18 months to create. Which to me, I'm like, 9 and 18 months is a big span that's literally double. You're doubling the span. 9 to 18 months. So which is it? Right. Ruth McDonald asserts, I don't know who that is, maybe a critic or something. She says, The Cat in the Hat is the book that made Dr. Seuss famous. Without the cat, Seuss would have remained a minor light in the history of children's literature. Cat in the Hat is his signature right. character. That's what they put on Even all. though it's not his best-selling book. Oh, it's not. The book was published to immediate critical acclaim. On the 50th anniversary, prompted a reevaluation of the book from some critics. Yvonne Coppard, reviewing the 50th anniversary edition in Carousel Magazine, Wondered if the popularity of the cat and his, quote, delicious naughty behavior would endure another 50 years. Coppard wrote, the innocent ignorance of bygone days has given way to an all-embracing, almost paranoid awareness of child protection issues. And here we have the mysterious stranger who comes in uninvited while your mother is out. That's what we were saying. It's a different era than when that book was published. Can't just break into people's homes willy-nilly anymore. No. No more fun. They picked up on exactly what I said. You 
he's a home invader. And I think at any time having a strange bipedal feline break into your house. <laughs> he's like seven feet tall. Yeah, and start telling your kids that it's okay to be naughty. Don't listen to your parents would be a bad thing. Yeah, and we're not even going to talk about the Mike Myers movie. No, skip it. Yeah, do you have, uh, there's one more Dr. Seuss in the top 10. Do you know what it is? I'm going to make sure first that it's not the Lorax. No. Is it Green Eggs and Ham? Green Eggs and Ham is number five in the top 10. Dr. Seuss's best-selling children's book. So, Dr. Seuss, I probably would have guessed this book was number one, this or Cat in the Hat, but number five. It was published three years after Cat in the Hat in 1960, and it has sold 18 million units. It's a better book than Cat in the Hat. Yeah, it's way better. Have you read this recently? I probably within the last few years. Yeah, it's a much better book than The Cat in the Hat. Sam I Am tries to offer an unnamed character a plate of green eggs and ham. However, the character tells Sam he hates the food. Sam further asks him to eat green eggs and ham in various other locations, such as a house, box, car, tree, uh, and with different animals like a mouse, a fox, a goat, but is still rebuffed. Finally, the character accepts the offer samples the green eggs and ham and happily declares that he likes them. It's never... Spoiler alert. It's never enough to sweeten the deal when he's like, how about you eat it uh, in the rain? Um, no, that's, that's actually way worse than the original idea you had. How about you eat it with this wild farm animal in a boat? Yeah, that sounds great. The vocabulary of the book consists of just 50 words and was the result of a bet between Dr. Seuss and his publisher that Seuss could not complete an entire book without exceeding 50 words, which he did. <laughs> and don't worry, if you're looking up Green Eggs and Ham on Wikipedia, Wikipedia then goes on to list all 50 words individually in a huge bullet list. Oh. Because anyone needs that. Super helpful. And if you're wondering, the word anywhere is the only word that uses more than one syllable in the whole book. I'll not eat them anywhere. Yeah, you're right. Fuck. The book has become sufficiently ingrained in the cultural consciousness that the U.S. District Court Judge James Muirhead referenced green eggs and ham in his September 2007 court ruling after receiving an egg in the mail from prisoner who was protesting against the prison diet. The judge ordered the egg destroyed and rendered his judgment in the style of Seuss. So this judge was reading a verdict out loud and he started rhyming and shit about the egg. What a silly judge. <laughs> what an asshole. Speaking of asshole, Senator Ted Cruz recently read the book Green Eggs and Ham on the floor of the United States Senate during his filibuster over the funding of Obamacare. What do you have to say about that, you liberal pig? I think he needs to be jettisoned into the sun. You just trying to cancel Dr. Seuss. Shame on you. Specifically trying to cancel Ted Cruz. Musician Will I Am. You know that guy, Will.I.M. Yeah, super talented, super smart guy. Are you being serious? No, he's a jackass. Okay. Well, he stated his name is inspired by this story. <laughs> and my last note is, as I'm sure you know, I don't have to tell you this, Dr. Seuss Green Eggs and Ham also came out as a single-player video game for Game Boy Advance in <laughs> November 2003. Oh, my God. Imagine opening, being like, I don't know, 10 or 12 and opening that for Christmas. From like your grandma. Green eggs and ham, the video game. I don't know why that was needed. You're trying to avoid green eggs and ham throughout the whole video game, but at the end you just decide, eh, fuck it, I'll eat them. I think uh, we need to set Brandon up on a cross-country road trip with Ted Cruz and Will I Am, 
and the judge that did the rhyming, James Muir. I'd rather go with Will I Am. Yeah, me too. All right, so that was Green Eggs and Ham at five, The Cat in the Hat at seven, and The Pokey Little Puppy at nine. Okay, what about, uh, there's no Berenstain Bears on here? No. And Alice in Wonderland is not a picture book, so I guess that's not on here. Mm-mm. Okay. Curious George. No. You need to be a little more curious than that, sir. The Hungry Caterpillar. The Hungry Caterpillar is a classic. We've all read that one. And that is number two in the top ten. The Very Hungry Caterpillar by Eric Carl. He eats like a fucking pig at the end of that book. <laughs> he does. Well, when you say the end, it's really the middle. The book's like 10 pages long. Oh. Well, not including all the flaps for the food. So far, this is our most recently published book. came out in 1969. It has since sold 43 million copies. The book features a very hungry caterpillar who eats his way through a wide variety of foodstuffs. That's how it's worded, foodstuffs. Before pupating and emerging as a butterfly. Yeah. The book's got holes in it, too. Yeah. If you're into holes. The book comes with holes. Uh, the differently shaped pages with holes represents the caterpillar's trail through food were a challenge. Because printers in the U.S. were too expensive, the publisher located and used a print shop in Japan. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh, because those holes cost a lot of money and the pages were differently shaped, which wasn't a common thing at the time. It has been described as having sold the equivalent of a copy per minute since its publication. And it has even been endorsed by the Royal Entomological Society, which is like bug people, I guess. The king and queen of bugs. This book is nice and accurate. <laughs> nice and accurate. So that's it. But The Very Hungry Caterpillar, I've, I read that one, I don't know, probably once a month at least to my uh, little kid. At the end, he starts getting a hold of uh, like uh, cupcakes and stuff. Yeah. It's mostly fruit. And then at the end, he goes hog wild. Yeah. He starts with fruit, and then he goes into an ice cream cone, cake, a sausage. And then the last page, he just becomes a butterfly, and then it just abruptly ends. Isn't that crazy that a caterpillar looks like a caterpillar, and then it gets in a cocoon and, I think, liquefies, and it just becomes a whole completely different thing? You don't do that? You don't liquefy every now and then? Don't they, like, liquefy? I don't know. I don't know. It's Whatever it is. the Royal Etymological Society. It's amazing, but it's gross. Yeah. So if they liquefy, that means they must reanimate inside there, huh? New organs and shit? I guess. I don't know enough. We need to contact the bug people. Are there any more Dr. Seuss books? No. Hmm. Oh, I just remembered one we've talked about on here before, which makes me wonder if we've done this list before. No. Because we talked about Goodnight Moon before with the mush. Yeah. Is that on here? We've talked about that in one of our prior book episodes. But uh, Goodnight Moon by Margaret Wise Brown is number six. Bam. So right between Green Eggs and Ham and Cat in the Hat. Came out in 1947 and it has sold 16 million copies. I hate this and it fucking sucks. book. It does. It's a suck book. The text is a rhyming poem describing an anthropomorphic bunny's bedtime ritual of saying goodnight to various inanimate and living objects in the bunny's bedroom. 
such as a red balloon, a pair of socks. He's just wasting time. The bowl of mush. Yeah, he literally says goodnight mush. And then there's a page, I swear to God, I just read this like two nights ago. There's a page where he just says goodnight nobody and goodnight air. And the page is just blank. The, so The grandma or mom, mother rabbit that's sitting in the chair across from him and like knitting or something. Yeah. Needs to have a page where she says, shut the fuck up and go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. So the author, Margaret Wise Brown, she died in 1952 and uh, she gave the royalties of the book to Albert Clark, who was the nine-year-old son of a neighbor. Albert Clark, that neighbor kid, uh, squandered the millions of dollars the book earned him. On drugs. It doesn't say why or how. He said that Margaret Wise Brown, the author, was actually his mother. However, that claim has been dismissed. So there's some big time gossipy drama here with the author dies. She gives the royalties to her nine-year-old neighbor. The nine-year-old neighbor squanders the millions and says, oh, by the way, that bitch was my mom. Why does he call her a bitch? Well, he doesn't say that. Maybe. How'd she die? She drop a toaster into the bathtub? Doesn't say. But she died five years after the book was published, so. I'm going to assume electrocution in the bathtub. The illustrations alternate between two-page black-and-white spreads of objects and two-page color spreads of the room. This was a common cost-saving technique at the time. (laughs) From the time of its publication in 1947 until 1972, the book was actually banned by the New York Public Library due to the head children's librarian, Anne Carroll, hatred of the book. (laughs) She hated the book, so she said, it's banned. Nobody gets to read it. I don't understand that. It's not a saucy, controversial book at all. Yeah, there's nothing... He doesn't say, like, good night, homosexuals, uh, or, uh, or like, uh, a Huck fan. He doesn't say good night, N-words. Yeah. Although that would be a, that'd be a, maybe there's a limited edition copy out there that has that in there. A 2007 online poll, the National Education Association listed the book as one of its teacher's top 100 books for children, and in 2012 it was ranked four among the top 100 picture books in a survey by the School Library Journal. And last but not least, a parody written by David Milgram and published in October 2011. This was a parody book and it was called Goodnight iPad. Oh. As the next generation shows a very different home life 50 years later with mobile devices, social networks, and nonstop streaming media. And I thought that was kind of clever. There you go. Goodnight Moon. Shittiest book so far. So let me tell you, you know, we're covering picture books only. But I did uh, look up if we were just doing children's genre books total, which would include like children's novels. Mm-hmm. Here's some books that would be in the top 10. The Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham. James and the Giant Peach by Ronald Dahl. Roald Dahl. Oh, you're right. Roald Dahl. Sorry. Charlotte's Web by E.B. White. Black Beauty by Anna Sewell. Heidi by Joanna Spirey. And The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. Those would all be in the top 10 if we were including them, but we're fucking not. I don't think I read any of those. Oh, I just remembered. I just remembered one. Corduroy. No corduroy. You better get your quarter back on that one, Alexander Roy. and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. You have such a hard on for that book, and no, it's not in here. Okay. You bring that book up all the time. Uh, it's a good book. It's real life. Real life shit. Think about a recent book. I think it's the most recent one on here. It was published in 1999. Oh, I was about to guess uh, The Little Engine That Could. No, it's a good guess, but no. 99. There's now, like, I think there's a short film on this book that was on Netflix at one point recently. I watched it recently, animated. 
Features animals. Hmm, it's not Coco Melon. <laughs> Is that a book? <laughs> no, it's too stupid to be a book. <laughs> I hate that shit. Um, hmm. It's short on Netflix with animals. It's like a 30-minute animated movie. I don't know. I'm going to need some help. It's about a mouse that walks through the woods and encounters predators like a fox, an owl, and a snake. Each of those animals clearly intend to eat the mouse. They invite them to their home for a meal. Cutting Mouse declines each offer and uses clever tricks to evade danger. He tells each animal that he plans to dine with his friend, a blank, a monstrous creature whose frightening features he describes. He tells them that creature's favorite food is the relevant animal, and they leave him alone. Maybe you haven't read this one. It's no. called The Gruffalo. Oh, okay. I Julia recognize Donaldson. the name, but no, nah, I've not read The Gruffalo. Yeah, it's actually pretty good. It was published in 99. It sold 11 million copies. The story is actually based on a Chinese folk tale of a fox that borrows the terror of a tiger. The book has been adapted into a 27-minute animated film in 2009. The mouse is voiced by James Corden. Oh, I hate that guy. It was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Short Film Fuck in that 2011. Guy's face. What number on the list was this? 10. The 2004 sequel, The Gruffalo's Child, tells the story of the Gruffalo's daughter who is warned by her father of the terrifying mouse, which is kind of cute. Cute little spin. We're turning that shit on its head. Yeah. The Gruffalo's good. I like it. Hmm. It reminded me of another one with a mouse. If you give a mouse a cookie. No, not in the top 10. Hmm. Is the stinky cheese man in the top 10? Is that real? Yeah, it's uh, like a different version of, of uh, the gingerbread man, the stinky cheese man. I have not heard that. Not in the top 10. Hmm. Oh, uh, speaking of ones that have been made into movies, Where the Wild Things Are. Yes, Where the Wild Things Are. We've all read that one. Where do you guess it's ranked? Number three. It's number four. Where the Wild Things Are by Maurice Sendak. It was published in 1963 and it has sold 20 million copies worldwide. The story focuses on a young boy named Max, who after dressing in his wolf costume, wreaks havoc wreaks such havoc through his household that he is sent to bed without supper. After his mother calls him Wild Thing to where he responds, I'll eat you up. Yeah, he fucks shit up in that book. Yeah. He chases the dog with a fork, I think. Max's bedroom undergoes a mysterious transformation into a jungle environment, and he winds up sailing to an island inhabited by monsters simply called the Wild Things. I like the art in this book quite a bit. Which is funny because the wild, so this book was written and illustrated by Maurice Sendak. And he said that the wild thing, the creatures were actually inspired from characters of his own aunts and uncles, originally drawn in his youth. <sighs> he must have an ugly ass family. Or hot as hell, depending on your outlook, am I right? Not some bad asses on some of those wild things. I didn't see the movie. I haven't either, but I know it didn't do well. I have a note that uh, the 2015 live-action film got positive reviews, but bombed at the box office. It barely broke even with its production budget of $100 million. According to the author, at first, the book was banned in libraries and received negative reviews. It took about two Why? <laughs> because librarians are stuck up in the 60s. I don't know. <laughs> He's cavorting with these mixed race... <laughs> Uh, wild things. It took about two years for librarians and teachers to realize that children were flocking to the book, checking it out over and over again, and for critics to relax their views. Since then, it has received high critical acclaim. 
So it's like it got negative reviews, but then because everyone loved it, they just changed the reviews to positive ones, I oh, guess. Well, if you like it a whole lot, sure. Yeah. The kid does threaten to eat his mother up. Which gets him sent to bed. And so the whole thing's a dream, right? He goes to the place where the yeah. wild things are and he comes back and the food is in his, his dinner's in his room and it was still hot. Yeah, it must not have been a very long dream. No. And it was still hot. That's the, like, the last line. You got to satiate his hunger, though, so he doesn't end up eating his mother. <laughs> She's terrified of this kid. <laughs> Just shove him some food under the door. Despite the book's popularity, the author refused to produce a sequel. Four months before his death in 2012, he told comedian Stephen Colbert that one would be the most boring idea imaginable. Wait, what would be? A sequel. I guess for the next 60 years that he was alive, people kept asking him for a sequel and he refused. What are you going to... People need to fucking cool it with a sequel. You got to do it from the Wild Things perspectives. No, we just leave it alone. Those Wild Things are a couple of assholes, by the way. You know, he shows up and they make him king of the Wild Things without even seeing his qualifications. <laughs> they don't do any reference checks. Make him king of the Wild Things. They just dance a bunch. He sends their asses to bed because I don't know why. And then he wakes up and leaves and... Well, he learns a lesson there. He learns that... Yeah. He learns about responsibility and having to deal with his own little wild things. Yeah. Well, anyway, that's number four where the wild things are. So, at this point, you just need number one, three, and eight. And I'm like desperate here. I can't think of... Numbers three and eight both have the word love in the title. And it's not... I Love Airport Hot Dogs by Brandon Kaufman. I can't think of any children's book with the word love in it. You might not have read these. Uh, so, number eight stars two bunnies. A big bunny and a little bunny. I love your bunny. I love your little bunny <laughs> butt. I don't know. Number eight is Guess How Much I Love You oh. by Sam McBratney. Do you know that one? Yeah, I recognize it. Uh, I've read this one. We have it. And I would not have guessed it was in the top ten above some of the other shit you've Guess. So, uh, number eight, Guess How Much I Love You. It was published in 1994. It's the second most recent book on here. Um, it has sold 15 million copies. It follows the, the stories of two hairs, Big Nut Brown Hair and Little Nut Brown Hair. Little Nut Brown Hair asks Big Nut Brown Hair the, the title question, Guess How Much I Love You. And the book continues as the two use larger and larger measures to quantify how much they love each other in answer to the question. So, Brandon, let me ask you, mm -hmm. Guess How Much I Love You. An apricot. Sure. An apricot's worth. That sounds about right. You know, I googled this to see if I recognized the cover, uh, which I kind of do. But in, you know, when you Google something and you click images at the top, there's ads for like Google shopping. Yeah. And there's another book, like the very first book that comes up in this, uh, in the suggestion here. And it comes up one, two, three, four times in a row or on this row is a book featuring a, a little boy bunny on the cover drawing pictures and he looks sad and the title is The Night Dad Went to Jail. Oh my God. What to expect when someone you love goes to jail. I had never thought about that, but I guess it is a good book to have for kids in that situation, right? <laughs> I guess. Uh, I mean, someone's got to explain to them what's happening. Holy shit. It's available on Amazon and very more, maybe more appropriately, Walmart.com. I better buy that for my family just in case. You never know. God damn. Look, here's a co some copies or a, a look on the inside. 
One page says, we see dad about once a month. In between visits, I send him drawings and he writes me letters. Sometimes we talk on the phone. Hmm. Once I went to visit dad and he asked me to smuggle drugs in my butt. That's not in here. Miss Sanchez I found say, okay. a group of other kids who have a mom or dad in prison. So they just go to jail. He went to prison. We get together every Tuesday. They're cool. They understand what I'm going through. Jesus Christ. Well, everyone add it to your Christmas shopping list. This book would freak my kids out. Nah. Don't Google anything anymore. Go back to guess how much I love you. Well, that's pretty much it. Big nut brown hair, the daddy bunny does end up in prison uh, at the end. <laughs> guess how much I love you. 10 to 15 years worth. That's it for guess how much I love you. Now, number three mm -hmm. also has the word love in the title. Anything coming to mind there? Nothing. I, got, I don't have any titles in my head that have the word love in them. That's because you're a hateful bitch. The story centers on a mother who sings a lullaby to her son at each stage of his life. The mother and son grow older with the former becoming sick due to old age oh, and Jesus. one day unable to sing the lullaby. The son sings the rest for her and after her death begins to sing the lullaby to his newborn daughter. Wonderful. You don't know this book? No, that sounds really depressing. Love You Forever by Robert Munch. 1986, 20 million units sold. My mom read this to me when I was a little kid, and we now read it to our kids, and it is depressing. But it's also kind of full circle, because the story starts with the little kid, like as a baby, and his mom singing to him. Yeah. And it ends with him holding, as an adult, holding his sick mother and singing to her. And then he goes home, goes upstairs, and sings it to his newborn baby daughter. So yeah, it's, I'd say it's the heaviest of the books we've covered, for sure. Well, maybe other than The Very Hungry Caterpillar. Yeah, I'm re-looking, and I think this is definitely the... Would you say it's number three? Yeah. Yeah, this is definitely the heaviest. Does anybody die in the other books? Uh, no. I don't think so. The book was written by Robert Munch after he and his wife had two stillborn babies. Ugh. Yeah. Some readers dislike the portion of the story where the mother sneaks into her grown son's room. I'll tell you about that in a minute. One publisher's weekly reviewer states that Love You Forever is a divisive children's book. Either it moves you to tears and you love it, or it makes your skin crawl and you detest it. The book covers when the kid is a baby, and then like five, and then a teenager, and then an adult. And uh -huh. every time, it shows him sleeping, and the mother sneaks across the floor to not wake him up. She like crawls Ew. in the dead of night. And then picks him up and rocks him, even when he's in the... So when he's an adult, he lives in his own house. So she puts a ladder up to the second story window, climbs the ladder, breaks in the window... Well, she opens the window, comes in, and then picks up her adult son and rocks him. And he's not terrified by this? <laughs> in the book, he doesn't wake up. Yeah. Or if he does, he just accepts it. I found it. a picture of it and the caption says, A creepy kid's book that won Amazon's best children's books of 2014. Yeah, it is a strange twist. Yeah, and there she is. She's old and he's way bigger than her. Mm -hmm. And then the, behind the, her, them on the bed, there's a cat trying to get out the window like, fuck is going on in here? <laughs> and that cat is very poorly shapen. Yeah, it's just a... <laughs> it's like, it looks like a rat. It's a suggestion of a cat. 
Another comment, commentator wrote, it's either a touching account of a mother's unending love or the ultimate helicopter parenting gone bad. Jesus Christ, the picture of him holding her when she's old? Oh, I'm getting um, psycho vibes. She's dying. He's wearing a sweater over a dress shirt and tie in this picture. Which, okay, Brandon. Which makes him look like even more of a little creepy Menendez brother. Or uh, Christian Bale's character in American Psycho. It is a weird book, but it has its touching moments. Love You Forever and Ever and Ever and Ever by Robert Munch. Jesus. Parents, don't break into your adult kids' homes to rock them to sleep in the middle of the night. And presumably she left again through the ladder. Why not just, you know, if she's going to come over all the time, why not just give her a key? She can come in the front door. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not special. If I was on my deathbed and my kids started to pick me up and cradle me, I'd be like, just smother me now. <laughs> so the number one children's book, best-selling children's book of all time, I have absolutely new, no clue on. Okay. You know this story. Mm-hmm. Just recently, there's been, it's actually, so it's the oldest story on here. It was published in 1902, but very recently, as in the last few years, there's been several uh, movies that have been successful. Is it Peter Rabbit? It's Peter Rabbit. Shit. The Tale of Peter Rabbit by Beatrix Potter is number one. Yeah, my kid liked that movie. I, it, I thought it looked like dog shit, but he loved it. I, well, I saw the first one, didn't see the second it stars your friend James Corden. Oh, well, there you go. It was published in 1902 and it sold 50 million copies. It's actually the longest book in the top 10 at 56 pages. I didn't realize it was a picture book. Well, I think it's both. I think it's, I don't know. Because the Gruffalo is also long. I think Gruffalo is like 30 pages or something. Um, and it's a picture book for sure. Oh, I don't know. Now that I looked it up on Wikipedia, the sort of watercolor art for it, I do recognize from my own childhood. That dark, depressing place that you grew up. The story follows mischievous and disobedient young Peter Rabbit as he gets into and is chased around the garden of Mr. McGregor. He escapes and returns home to his mother, puts him to bed after offering him chamomile tea. Pretty sure Mr. McGregor kills his father, if I'm not mistaken. He chops him up with a hose. At least it's implied. Hate getting chopped up by a hose, all right? He wears a little blue jacket. Yeah. Since its release, the book has generated considerable merchandise for both children and adults, including toys, dishes, foods, clothing, videos. The author, Beatrix Potter, was one of the first to be responsible for such merchandise when she patented a Peter Rabbit doll in 1903 and followed it immediately with a Peter Rabbit board game. Good for her. She was the first to see kind of the big picture opportunities that come with selling a children's book. Yeah. Peter Rabbit has remained popular amongst children for more than a century. In 1938, shortly after the success of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Walt Disney himself became interested in making an animated film based on Peter Rabbit. However, in a letter to a friend, Beatrix Potter wrote that she refused Walt Disney's scheme to film Peter Rabbit, saying, I'm not very hopeful about the result. They proposed to use cartoons. It seems that a succession of figures can be juggled together to give an impression of motion. I don't think the pictures would be satisfactory. I'm not troubling myself about it. Well, she was way off on that. Yeah, I was going to say. She would rather use, like, stop motion, I guess, with real figures. I don't know. She seemed confused. 
Can't we hire a rabbit? Snow White was uh, new at the time. I guess, you know, maybe she hadn't well, didn't she see that, the fucking animals moving in that movie? Brandon, nobody's got time for that when you're building a Peter Rabbit conglomerate. Empire. In 1938. Yeah. My last note is, as we mentioned, there's some uh, big movies now. And starting in February 2018, a 3D live action CGI animated feature film titled Peter Rabbit, directed by Will Gluck. And it stars James Corden as Peter Rabbit, and a sequel was released in 2021. And with that, I have strongly helped you guess the top 10 best-selling children's books of all time. Well, these were difficult for a grown person. Well, you have kids. I thought you'd do better than that. Uh, well, they read to themselves. Number 10 is The Gruffalo by Julia Donaldson. Number 9, The Pokey Little Puppy. Number eight, Guess How Much I Love You. Seven, The Cat in the Hat by Dr. Seuss. Six, Goodnight Moon. Five, Green Eggs and Ham. Four, Where the Wild Things Are. Three, Love You Forever by Robert Munch. Two, The Very Hungry Caterpillar by Eric Carle. And number one, The Tale of Peter Rabbit by Beatrix Potter. I just looked him up and the pokey little puppy has teeny tiny little beady eyes. He looks drugged out as hell. With his tongue hanging pokey out. Pokey little puppy would never do drugs, Brandon. Come on. Why is he pokey? Pokes you with his nose when nudges you to play. I don't know. Oh, because he's, it's he's fucking around. Kind of should call the, the fuck. Because he's what? Because he's fucking around. He's pokey. He's slow. Ah, uh, I see. Should have called him the fuck about puppy. The fuck about puppy. Yeah. I think that has real potential. He's got weird little eyes. Speaking of fucking around and weird little eyes. I want to let you listeners know that this past weekend we dropped our latest bonus episode for Tennis Pod Plus members. It's me and Brandon debating who would win in an all-out MCU battle royal, that's Marvel Cinematic Universe. Brandon tries to guess the top 10 most likely winners based on a poll of thousands of MCU fans worldwide. And number one is not who you might think. You can listen right now at TennisPod.com plus, or for Apple Podcasts listeners, just tap the subscribe button at the top of our Apple Podcast page. Word. Did you just message me? Yeah, I sent you a picture of the pokey puppy with his eyes looking goofy. Oh, yikes. <laughs> he does look unwell or disturbed. Duh. For sure. Looks derpy, as my kid would say. But you know who's not derpy? Our listeners. Here's a few reviews from them. First one is on Podchaser from Mike. He says, Late arrival on the tennis scene, but I'll definitely be checking out their huge back catalog. Nick and Brandon have different styles too, both vocally and in their approach. I've listened to many co-host shows and often there's not much difference between them, but with these two fellas, both stand out clearly and are instantly recognizable. Thank you. So what do you think about that? We stand out clearly and we're instantly recognizable. Yeah. Not in a good way necessarily, but we're different. I'll take That's it. probably true. Still take yeah. it. Thank you, Mike. One more here from TBB2 on Apple Podcasts. These guys are hilarious and always provide witty observations to top 10 lists that provide a ton of laughs and sometimes some self-reflection. <laughs> I know I often self-reflect after our episodes. Just like on this, I got to make sure I don't turn out to be a helicopter parent like the mom and love you forever. Well, if you find yourself crawling across your child's floor, stop and turn around. <laughs> At any time, but especially when they're an adult. <laughs> What are you doing crawling across my floor, Mom? Don't worry. I'm just here to rock you. <laughs> I'm here to love you forever. 
I'm pretty sure the book says that she does it every night too, not just like a every once in a while thing. Well, so that's great. I'll be looking forward to a nightmare about that tonight. Yep. Okay. Well, thank you for the reviews. I'll read more reviews every episode. Just go leave a review and I'll read it. We want to thank everyone for listening. We'll be back next time with another episode. In the meantime, happy holidays. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs>